Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast. This week is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode as the topic we're going to discover and get into here is actually covered on the Human Vortex training blog this week, as well as my Pez Cycling News uh, toolbox piece. We're going to talk about general physical preparation versus strength training for performance, specifically in cycling and triathlon. Now, this is a topic a lot of people, uh, when it comes to strength training, it's so far out there you know, you just think that strength training is strength training. There's, you know, of course we can do exercises that are like cycling or swimming or biking, and that's how you get better. Well, no, that's not how it works. But because a lot of us begin, myself included, when we first start getting into strength training, we do general things and we have some fun. We try some different exercises and we see pretty good immediate results. Within two to four weeks, we notice we're walking better. We're be able to do our things that we enjoy, such as cycling, running, and swimming a little bit better, and we generally enjoy very quick returns. However, as we continue through general physical preparation over a matter of uh, anywhere from 12 to 18 months, depending on your training age and a lot of other variables, those immediate responses and quick wins are going to begin to taper off. And that means that your training is going to have to change. So today we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail than those two other posts, but check out the humanvortextraining.com blog post from August 22nd, 2020, and the Pez Cycling News post from the 18th of August, 2020, and that's for the toolbox section. And of course, there is a YouTube video that goes with this where I discuss the differences of strength training for performance in barbell bench press versus uh, dumbbell bench press. And this is actually an exercise that has tons of returns for cyclists and triathletes, but many of us just write it off as, oh, well, I don't need a larger chest or a stronger chest, so I'm just going to skip it. Uh, Now, what's interesting about this is that I actually was asked to go on to GCN back in February 2019 uh, to correct the push-up form as they had followed, uh, I think Nario Quintana uh, was the person. I'm not sure if it was him, but one of the professional riders had put up a video of him doing like 40 or 50 push-ups, and it just sparked a bunch of cyclists trying to do push-ups, and it pretty much looked awful. So the GCN guys were included in that, and uh, what happened is uh, within 30 seconds of seeing that video of them doing push-ups, I was like, hey, how would you like it if I came over and I showed you how to actually fix your push-ups? Because not a single push-up was done there. Uh, and you guys need some help. (laughs) And they brought me on. It was really cool. So I'll put a link down to when I was on the GCN show the first time. So you can take a look at that, how to correct your push-ups. But uh, we'll get into today's podcast in just a minute. First, I want to cover and give you some more information that will help you be able to get more out of this podcast and get more out of your strength training in general. Number one, if you're a triathlete, uh, next Monday, we're going to release the Strength Training for Triathlon Performance Program over on Train Heroic. This is a monthly membership program. It's $30 a month, a dollar a day. 
average that you're going to pay and you're going to get fresh up-to-date strength training program for triathlon. It's geared for Olympic and half Ironman distance ideally. However, if you're just finishing out your second year or first year of strength training and you're looking to get performance gains, this program will definitely help you without a doubt regardless of what your distance is. So that is going to open on Monday. I believe the date is going to be the 22nd of August. 22nd? No, that's going to be the 23rd of August 2020. And there's going to be a community in there. We'll be able to chat. We'll be able to talk with other people who are taking the program along with you. And uh, it's just going to be a really, really good time. So if you're interested on Monday, the 23rd of August, that's going to be released. So check out the HVT Facebook page or sign up for the HVT newsletter over on humanvortextraining.com. Now, the second part of this, and we're going to spend a couple minutes here because I've never really or haven't to this point rather done this yet. And a few of you have asked, you've purchased the book, my first book, The Vortex Method, The New Rules for Ultimate Strength and Performance in Cycling, and have been asking, hey, can you just like give an overview because there's so much in this book. Uh, I really want to know how you designed it a little bit better so I can get more out of it. So we're going to do that. Now, number one, When I first wrote this book or started writing the manuscript about five and a half, six years ago, uh, 2013, so 2013, so that's seven years ago, wow, so seven years in the making, when I first started writing this book, it was a very technical manuscript. Uh, We were talking about the technique, the different joint angles, the biomechanics, how the loading and the shearing forces and this and that, and most people start reading that and they go, what, strength training, okay. I didn't want it to be that type of book. And when I engaged with my editor, uh, David, uh, he actually said, look, you really need to decide because the first half of the manuscript is super technical and you're really talking to coaches who have experience, who've been doing this for a couple of years. And then the second half, you're kind of giving it so that anybody can access this information. He's like, I could give this to my you know, seventh grade cousin and uh, he would be able to execute on the book, decide which one you want to write for. So what we did is we took all the technical stuff out for the most part, there's still a little bit in there, and wrote it so that everybody can get something out of this book. Now, it's a big challenge because when it comes to fitness books, the expectation is that when you open a book for training, you get about 25 to 30, maybe 35 pages of really short, concise, and concentrated uh, background information. And then the other 150 or so pages are the exercises, and then you get maybe one or two training programs out of it. And I didn't want to do that because there's a lot on strength training for cycling out there that are misconceptions and myths that we also see in the fitness side of things. So it's not just cycling and triathlon that has this problem of, well, strength training in general is X. There's, as you'll hear in today's episode, there is a time and a place for that But when it comes to actually getting better in a sport and using strength training to help you improve, uh, that time is relatively short, one to maybe two years. So the way the book wound up being at the end here is it was divided into four sections. And, uh, oh, that's another update I don't want to give you guys. I just received an email finally this morning from uh, Audible from the ACX editors uh, or the uh, audio proofing, and they said... uh, Everything looks great except each chapter, uh, each audio file can only have one chapter or section. So I had to wait eight and a half weeks to get that dang thing, uh, to get that feedback. And essentially what it is, is because in front of chapters 1, 7, 12, and 18, I say section 1, chapter 1, section 2, chapter 7, uh, it didn't pass their inspection. <laughs> so I've resubmitted it. So hopefully, 
anywhere between five to 14 days, but up to eight weeks or longer until the audiobook is released. I'm very, very sorry about that. That's the one thing I was warned from others is that if they find a problem with your manuscript when they listen to it, even if it's something simple to fix, you have to resubmit it and go through the whole process again. So someone new is going to go through that recording and have to say this problem has been solved. So I apologize for that. Um, but what this, what we did with the book is there's four sections. So there's the introduction, which is about seven pages long. And yeah, I cover like, you know, when it comes to strength training for cycling, a lot of cyclists avoided it because X, Y, and Z. Uh, then we talk about the progression of how we've gone through the uh, process of bringing in strength training and welcoming it as part of our sport. Uh, and then we get into the work. So it's built into four sections. And at the end of the introduction on page 11, I even say that for those who want to immediately jump in and get going, start by reading section one, which gives you the basic information that you need to be able to jump ahead to section three and get going. Then as you begin to wonder why things work or have questions, you can come back and read section two on your own time or perhaps never. It's completely up to you. For those of you who are curious and want to know more about the deeper why, read this book from back to front, or front to back rather, in order. The book is carefully put together to take you on the journey to unlock your full potential, building a deep, solid foundation, allowing you to build an amazingly strong and sturdy skyscraper of performance and sport enjoyment high into the sky. Now, this is important. That that little piece of information that some people uh, apparently uh, decided not to finish the introduction and just read the first three pages, uh, miss because most strength training or fitness books are written, here's 25 pages, which you can skip, and here's the training plans. So let me give you a breakdown of the way the book was written. Uh, section one, fundamentals. So this is where we talk about the importance of strength training for cyclists. We talk a little bit about that history. Section uh, Chapter two, strength training basics. Then we get into performance limiters and response to training, power output, and the energy equation. Really important. Uh, we got it down to 18 pages. That was a much longer, uh, <laughs> I think we cut out something like 45 or 55,000 words from the manuscript. I mean, it was a massive amount that we took out. Uh, but the performance limiters and response to training uh, chapter is really, really important. Uh, then we go into special considerations for women, which has been a focal area of mine for about eight and a half, nine years. And then the foundations of the healthy spine, which was proofed by Dr. Stuart McGill, a good mentor of mine. And uh, we had a really good time actually going through that. Um, and then we get into the fundamental five plus one movements. And that's the end of chapter one. That's it. Then we get into section two, the vortex method, where I actually tell you the different parts of the training program, uh, soft tissue work, breath work, dynamic warm-up, and resistance training. And then section three is train, where we just give you the nuts and bolts that you need to be able to go through and train. Lastly is the sample training plans, and you get three full year training plans with everything written out for you. So you have a standard gym with barbell, bands, and cable stacks. Then after that, you have the home workout with kettlebells and bands. And then after that, you have the home workout with a kettlebell and TRX. So three full year training plans. Now, here's the one thing that I was very uh, insistent of as we went through this book and built it is that any exercise that I had in there, yeah, we have a static picture or a pair of them actually, or three of them, depending on the phases of the exercise. We have a written description, what the main muscles worked as well as why we would use the exercise. But having read hundreds, if not a thousand or something fitness books to this point in my life, it bothered me when I would try and do an exercise that was fairly technical and try to do it based off of text. So what I've done is I've put together over 75 exercises. All of the exercises you have here in the book 
once you purchase the book, you have access to the online members only area of the HVT website where you can watch every single exercise in there be executed. Some of the more technical ones have me cueing you and telling you how to do it. So you're able to go out and essentially get a training plan out of it. And all this for $9.99. So you learn the why, how, when, and what to do for strength training for performance and three full year training programs, which are going to get you great results for performance. Now, why am I talking about this for about 10 minutes here at the beginning of the podcast about general physical preparation versus performance? The reason is, is because a number of you have messaged me and said, you know, a couple of people said, well, wow, this is really overwhelming to a point. I didn't realize how much goes into strength training, the tempo, the type of strength, all these different things. It's a little overwhelming. Uh, can you just give us a breakdown? Well, the answer is keep it simple. Read the book, but don't get too lost in the details. The most important thing is as soon as you pick up the book, especially if you're picking up now here in August or September when we first release the podcast uh, or any time that you begin to read it, start doing the training plans. Start right away. That's what I'm trying to encourage you to do in the, in the introduction is start your training right away because while you're reading the book and going through the training is going to help you understand and connect with what we're doing far better than reading the book and then doing the training only after. And as you go through, uh, I think you'll find that there is a wealth of knowledge in there. That's other people's uh, in the fitness industry have said that, not me. Uh, one person had gone on to say uh, that this is the most comprehensive, well-explained guide on strength training for cyclists uh, I've ever read. Or strength training in general, actually, is what they were referring to. Um, so it is extremely, extremely useful. All of the interns here have been reading it and really enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. Lots of great questions uh, and a lot of answered questions. You know, they ask me a question. I say, what page are you on? Oh, well, you're on page 112. Go ahead and read up to page 147 and let me know how that goes. So I uh, strongly encourage you to pick that up because that helps you understand when we move from general physical preparation to strength training for performance. And that's why it's the new rules for ultimate performance or strength and performance in cycling. This isn't your basic strength training for a cyclist book, which is squats and leg extensions and hamstring curls and planks and maybe some cool exercises on the stability ball. That is not what this book is. It is the rules for ultimate strength and performance. And that subtitle took us about a month to come up with because there's so much encapsulated in that. So let's kick into what is the difference between general physical preparation and strength training for performance. Okay, so we've talked about the Vortex method. I've given you the background about why I wrote the book. It took seven years. Uh, it is not meant to be or written to be a highly technical. Maybe my third or fourth book will be that technical uh, that I had written at the beginning. But really, this is going to allow you to understand strength training for performance. But before we get into that, we need to understand what general physical preparation is and the role it serves in all of our lives to help us be able to get to strength training for performance and be able to get the most out of it. This is a very needed part of any strength training growth or process of you becoming a strength training athlete, which is completely different than cycling or triathlon or running or swimming. So we need to make sure that we're going through and getting you what you need out of your general physical preparation. Essentially, general physical preparation is you going through and learning the different parts of your body, going through very general things. Uh, for some of the basketball players that I work with, developmental and professional, their general physical preparation in the summer is doing something other than basketball. Sometimes it's volleyball, sometimes uh, we've done uh, futsal, 
Uh, we tried that a couple times with a lot of fun. Uh, some of them got a little bit too distracted because it's a new skill to master and it's on sand and they enjoy it. Uh, other times, general physical preparation can be what James Harrison posted back on Instagram about three years ago, where he and some of his other linemen were playing uh, essentially volleyball on a standard volleyball court, throwing around a 10 kilo wall ball. And that is a hell of a feat to be able to chuck that thing 15, 20 feet, not just forward, but up and over a net. And it is a pure display of athleticism on their part. And they're, that's the level they're at. Their general physical preparation needs to be that high because they've been training for 15, 18, 20 years at that point at a high level. So their general physical preparation can be playing beach volleyball with the 10 kilo wall ball on a volleyball court. For people like you and me, the general physical preparation will be things like if we're a cyclist playing basketball or trying to. I've had a lot of fun trying to teach cyclists how to dribble a basketball properly. Uh, it could also be something as simple as if you're a cyclist, go start a little bit of swimming. If you're a triathlete, let's play a little bit of racquetball, but we need to be careful about our shoulders there. So we don't want to get too competitive. So if you're highly competitive, maybe not racquetball or squash. The other side of the general physical preparation, aside from doing a sport or tasks other than what you have. By the way, hiking has been a longtime favorite for me for my long-distance triathletes. So my half Ironman and Ironman, I have been assigning uh, hiking since 2000 and I think 2007 or 2008. No, no, 2009, sorry, when I had uh, Jeff Murray. Uh, we assigned some hiking for him between his first and second year. And boy, you get really stupid strong from that if you do it, if you do it you know, once every two or three weeks. So you're not going every weekend to make yourself sore, but man. And this is something that's grown, by the way, in the triathlon community, which is really fun. Uh, rucking is another thing. You know, we're taking a 35, well, you work your way up to a 30, 35 pound backpack for, you know, two and a half hours. And of course, it can't be any backpack. You need to be careful how you load it. There's a bunch of small details that need to be planned, but this is all general physical preparation. It has little to nothing to do with sport training. So, Another example would be one of the developmental basketball players that I was working with this year, this summer, his general physical preparation was learning how to do a Turkish get up with a kettlebell. We start off with, actually, we start off with a shoe. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll probably get a video of that at some point uh, this fall, because that's a lot of fun as a cyclist and a triathlete to go through and learn how to do a Turkish get up, balancing your shoe on your fist. It is a lot of fun. It's really challenging. It teaches you how to become more aware of your body overall, it teaches you how to connect your rib cage and your pelvis, it teaches you how to move differently from your hips, uh, and as well as develop mid and upper back strength and range of motion, which we do need. So that was his general physical preparation. One session a week, we did between five and 15 Turkish get-ups, first with the shoe, then we combined it with some band exercises, a little bit of sprinting and running technique, uh, some agility, and then we did some basic push-ups, pull-ups, and rows. That was our session, rotary stability, we did uh, suitcase carries. Then we built him up to the point where he is now using a 16 kilo kettlebell about four and a half weeks later, five weeks later, for his Turkish get-up for sets of three or four. This is a pretty big jump forward in abilities, and all it took was for us to take him away from the training stress that he's been receiving for the last 10 months and give him something general. And I'm very clear with my athletes. Hey, so-and-so, we're going to do the Turkish get-up, and I want to make clear this is general physical preparation. 
This has absolutely nothing to do with the game of basketball. This has absolutely nothing to do with you as a basketball player. It has everything to do with allowing you to learn how your body moves, how to interact with the ground, how the weight is going to change as you go through ranges of motion, as well as challenge you to learn how to stabilize and move in different planes. Exactly like that. Can you hear the difference in my voice when I coach like that? It's kind of like a script. Some of the kids are like, you are a robot. You sound exactly the same when you explain it to us as when you explain it to the other group. It's because there are certain cues, and after doing it for a number of years, it just becomes automatic. Now, at the same time, that can also become a problem because that means if I'm not adjusting that script or adjusting how I coach that or cue that exercise for a specific athlete or group of athletes, they may not get what they need or could rather out of that general physical preparation exercise. And this is where it's always good for you to be able to go back and review at the end of the week, what did I coach? How did I program it? What was its effect? What was its desired effect? Did I meet that desired effect? And how could I do this better next week? This is the end of the week. It takes roughly an hour to an hour and a half, depending on how many sessions or athletes you have. Uh, if, you know, For me right now, it's an hour, hour and a half, but I've been doing it for about seven, eight years. It used to take me pretty much all of Fridays. <laughs> I'd sit on Friday at the cafe and I, people are like, oh, you're texting. Who are these people you're texting? I'm like, I'm not texting. I'm going through my week and I'm looking at what I did well and looking to improve. But because it was on the phone, it looked like texting. Now, that's the other thing is with the technology, and this is a, a, an, uh, an aside, really. But uh, pretty much as you go through your, your coaching, you can choose to use or not to use technology. So, for example, uh, one of my clients this past Wednesday, we had a new program. And uh, he had been doing really well with the program I was giving him. It was much more performance-oriented. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better, but I really, I just want like an old school, like bodybuilding approach. Can, can we kind of shift to that? Can we, can we make that happen? And I said, of course, yeah, if that's what you like, let's do this. Let's change you to a strength training uh, for performance uh, will be secondary. So we're still going to get two or three movements a week where we're really working on performance for you. It's going to be the hinge and a little bit of jumping and the rest of it will just go bodybuilder. And what I did is I had built the outline of the program. So I had the sets and repetitions for three of the exercises. These were my anchors. And in the past, about eight years ago, I would have done this with a clipboard. So it wouldn't have been as much of a problem. But because I now have it on my phone, I was going after every uh, exercise he was doing, I was looking at my phone. Now, he can't see what I see on the phone. Now, we've been training for about three years together. So there's that level of mutual trust, right? So he trusts that I'm not going to be doing stuff I'm not supposed to during the session. But I could tell after about two or three exor exercises, uh, we were getting in, I, we did a set of three. So after the third exercise, he just kind of looked at me when I went to look down at my phone. And I was like, man, I, in my head, I thought this. I'm like, man, I just need to tell him like, I'm, and show him like I'm not distracted. I'm not doing other stuff on my phone. And so I made a point. So in between each set, I stood next to him and I showed him my phone. And I said, look, this is what we're doing. Uh, here's the sets and reps for exercise A, which is I already have written out, but you can see the other one's not there. So what I'm doing in between sets, and I scrolled up and I showed him, this is what I'm doing is in between your sets. Uh, I am showing you uh, the notes that I'm taking because I came in with these three anchors and this is you know, me on my phone right now is taking notes so that when I go home, I can finish your program. And he was okay with it for the day, but I could tell, you know, I, as we were wrapping up, I'm like, look, I'm really sorry for not having the rest of it written out. We're not going to do this again. Clearly, uh, it's a distraction for us from our sessions. And you saw his, you know, his eyebrows kind of lit up and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, that would be great. Thanks. So reading your client and knowing where they are, that's an aside. And let's bring it back to what we're talking about. Um, really, really, 
And by the way, that's an important aside. And I'm mentioning that because I couldn't do that with the new client. If I showed up with new client and I'm constantly looking at my phone like that, I'm probably going to lose them or they are going to think that I'm not paying attention to them. Uh, and that's not something you want to have. Uh, so this is a very important aside. Now, when it comes to the general physical preparation, when we're going through these programs, it's very, very important that we understand we need to get better technique. And the developmental basketball players, you know, they're teenagers, uh, young adults, and they really like to see the weights go up. Every week, they want to do another rep, another two reps. They want to do uh, more weight on the bar. And they don't understand that it is the technique that they're after. Now, the adult cyclists I work with, uh, because they tend to come to me with some type of pain or discomfort, are much more focused on the technique. They're a little bit afraid to go up in the weights. This is where, as a coach, we need to find that balance to help them understand look, this is a general exercise. Whether you push the same weight you did last week or the same number of reps doesn't actually matter. What we're looking for is the same perceived exertion. So on a scale of one to 10, we want five, sixes, or sevens, depending on what I tell you before the exercise. And that's how we want to base our effort of the week. So if I say to you, Tom, we're going to do three sets of eight today for the dumbbell bench press. Last week, we used a weight of 24 kilos. This week, let's do a warm-up set with 10 because you said your upper back's a little bit tight and you did some time trial practice yesterday morning. So let's take a look and see how it goes. And while you're going through the set of 10, wow, Tom, how's that shoulder feel, man? Oh, it feels awful. Okay, well, how about we do this? Let's do this corrective exercise and let's fire up this muscle. And then we're going to come back and try this again for a set of eight and see how that looks. And we do that corrective, we come back. Great, looks great. All right, Tom, last week we had a perceived exertion of seven, we had 24 kilos. How did the tens feel today as we went through that second warm up? Oh, it felt like a three. Okay, great. Last week it was a two. Let's go to 20s and see how they feel. And Tom does his first set. Tom, how'd that feel? Scale of one to 10. That was a seven, solid seven. And I see his technique is good. He's moving well. Great. There is no need for us to go up to 24. Now, this is in the general physical preparation. The general physical preparation, as you're hearing, the focus is much more on the technique and the form as opposed to the total volume that they're moving, right? That's very important. It is the exact same for strength training for performance. The difference is when we get to strength training for performance, we still want to match the perceived exertion, but what we're looking for would be either speed of the technique, so having them do a certain tempo, having them be able to fire their muscles a certain way, or it could even be the rest times that they're getting between their sets. But we're looking exactly the same. RPEs are going to be our, our guideline for loading, even more so in the strength training for performance, because for performance, that means you're going to be doing your strength training much more closely tied or in balance to what you're doing on the bike. Whereas general physical preparation, you can come in and we know each week we've got to work on a hinge, we've got to work on a push, we've got to work on a press, and we've got to work on a pull and rotary stability. In that order, those tend to be the usual. Now, some may say, well, it should be rotary stability and hinge. If you look at how we order the exercises, you're actually going to get a lot of that rotary stability as you go through the the program because of how it's ordered. So we have a hinge, so a deadlift of some sort or a kettlebell. Then you have, after that, you have the push. So the push, you're gonna have to use your glutes. So similar to the deadlift, we're wearing those muscles out. Now they've gone from prime movers to stabilizers. Then you have to go to a pull. Okay, so now those muscles get a little bit of a break, possibly, if you're doing something like a chest-supported dumbbell row. Uh, but 
those midsection muscles still have to work to balance the body, keep the rib cage and pelvis connected. And after that, we have a press overhead. Now those muscles, the internal, external obliques, the transverse abdominis, all of these muscles have to work together to keep the ribs and pelvis locked together while you're pressing overhead. Then we have a push. So with the push, the, the horizontal push or a bench press would be something that you, again, have to use those muscles in a different area. And then finally, we have rotary stability. Rotary stability, all these muscles have been challenged. They're a little bit fatigued. So we're getting the body to be able to move and fire those muscles just a little bit better to work together under fatigue, which when we rest, we're going to get better results. That's general physical preparation. Different types of movements, different types of activities outside of what your sport is within reason. Now, when I'm talking about, by the way, basketball for cyclists, that doesn't mean they're going out and starting to shoot jump shots. We're talking about dribbling. We're talking about basic shooting from very close. We're not looking to take someone who's sitting on a bike and not getting any plyometric loading of the tissues and all of a sudden have them running up and down the court. That doesn't make any sense. That's opening someone up to a massive risk of injury that just isn't going to be beneficial for them. Now, on the other side of things... We have strength training for performance. This is where we have cyclists and triathletes who have been training some strength training for 12 to 18 months, if not longer, consistently. They understand the basic push-pull, squat, hinge, press, rotary stability. They have good neural movements, good neural pathways. They're able to walk into a gym and do general exercise as well. When it comes to the performance side of things, we're very, very focused on the speed of the movement, the technique of the movement, and the order of the exercises, as well as very specific, and this ties all of those together, into the type of strength that we're trying to build. The type of strength that we're trying to build is going to vary anywhere from what's called starting strength. It can be all the way up to power or explosiveness. There are a number of different types of strength, and I covered just a little bit in the strength training uh, of that about strength training in the uh, book, The Vortex Method, but I don't go super, super deep. So I think I mentioned uh, starting strength. I'm just looking here in the book to see if I actually uh, can find it in the chapter. And it doesn't look like I have it uh, marked off for you guys. But, you know, I know I talk about starting strength. I talk about uh, eccentric strength. We talk about eccentric versus concentric and when to use one versus the other. Uh, so it is in the book and it does help you uh, to be able to, to understand when it comes to performance, which properties of strength are you actually looking for. And it's pretty much a giant star uh, with five or six different ends. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's six. Power, strength, speed, skill, flexibility, and I think that's it. I think it's those five. And these are all interrelated. So there's speed strength, there's strength speed. Each of these is going to be very, very different than one another. And we're not going to get into that for today, but you can hear how there's a lot of differences when it comes to actual performance training. So with this, we can now talk about performance. When it comes to performance, all we're doing is we're taking these fundamental five plus one movements, as well as getting you better, cleaner firing essentially for movements that are going to be beneficial to you in sport. Now, the great thing about this is a lot of people say, oh, great, strength training for performance for cyclists is lunges and squats and hamstring curls. No, that's not what we mean. What we're talking about are complex movements that are going to require proximal stiffness for distal motion. So if you listen to the episode with Dr. Stuart McGill here earlier, you heard that term, proximal stiffness for distal motion. What that is is the ability to stiffen the muscles of the core, and the core is everything between your neck, your elbows, and your knees in a way appropriate so that you are losing less energy, you're not getting any motion, unneeded motion from the spine, and instead you're expressing that motion through the hips and the shoulders where it can go down 
down to the limbs and either out to the ground or out to whatever it is that you're pushing or pulling. That is the core of strength training for performance. That's it. That simple. Proximal stiffness for distal motion in the type of strength that you need. Flexibility power, flexibility strength, flexibility endurance. Each one of these is a different property that needs to be trained or can be trained, I should say. They don't all have to need to be trained. And I talk about this in the Strength Training for Cycling Success course uh, with the Triangle, uh, as well as the Strength Training for Cyclist Certification course, which, by the way, will be opening up here in about a week or two. Uh, correction, sorry, not a week or two. It will be opening up in about a month or two. It's going to be September, October that we open it. We're adding a ton of new content to help even more with the coaching. It, it took quite some time over the summer to put it together. Thanks, Corona, for screwing everything up. Just kidding. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing that, but that course, you're going to have progressions and regressions for the fundamental five plus one. You're also going to have it for power. You're going to have it for jumping, acceleration, jumping, deceleration, the different types of rotary stability, prone and supine. Uh, so there's a bunch of different stuff in there. Uh, anyhow, when it comes to the, the performance, what we're looking for is we're looking to train the properties that are most needed for your sport. Now, Here's the last part that we're going to cover today for strength training for performance, because there's a, a lot more, uh, and already looking here at the uh, bullet points of what we've gone through, I don't want to confuse you or overfill the proverbial mental bathtub where you're like, man, there's just so much, I can never do this. We need to, we need to start where we start and know which direction we need to go. Uh, so if you want to fly to New York, it's going to depend which direction you go based on where you start. Are you starting from Paris? Are you starting from South Africa? Are you starting from Australia? Each one is going to determine which direction you go. And that's all we're looking for to get out of for you today. So when it comes to the different properties, we want to think about the type of properties you need in your sport of cycling. Now, when I say in your sport of cycling, we need to be very, very specific. And this is the second biggest area of mistakes or just not knowing any better. I'd say it's an act of uh, uh, omission as opposed to neglect, you know, if we were to use legal terminology, you know, omission is people just don't know to include there's different types of strength. It's just strength training versus an act of neglect is you know that, but you don't mention. It's just you don't know. You don't know. And so essentially what it comes down to is each different type of riding has a different type of sport profile, if you will. So cycling for road for endurance is going to have a very different needs profile than criterion racing. Gravel riding will be very different than mountain biking. Even though they're similar, the setup of the bike is different as well as the different types of trains and the fact that you can have some road or more commonly have some type of smooth paved road in gravel as well as the types of tires, the types of equipment is going to affect how you're going to be able to do things like you go out west for a mountain bike ride and you take a 26 inch mountain bike hardtail, it's probably going to be quite tough to keep up with everybody through those long flowy trails and those giant boulders and trees that they're going over out, out there. And you can tell I'm not a mountain biker. So some of you guys will be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to mountain biking. You're absolutely right. <laughs> That's not my sport. I go in for a three-mile mountain bike ride uh, on an easy trail. I'll come out eight hours later and covered in mud and scraped up and who knows what else with a big smile on my face because I just had a lot of fun doing something. I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm sure I'll get there, but not right now. Now, as it comes for, you know, let's talk about time trialing. That is a very different sport demand than road cycling for endurance. And then you have, on the other side of things, cyclocross, completely different than gravel or mountain. So you have to really understand your chosen sport within our sport of cycling. And I didn't even bother 
talking about track because there is a lot already built in there. That has been the one part of the cycling community that has grabbed on to strength training and uses it regularly, including Olympic lifts, uh, which is really, really important. And I do mention that in the Vortex method, but I also point out like you need a in-person coach uh, to teach you how to do that. And I'm not going to attempt that in a book. That would not do it any justice. Uh, and that is not the right thing to do. So I encourage you to find a USA weightlifting certified coach who has experience in coaching the moves and just note that you never need to clean and jerk or snatch off the ground. So you should be using blocks or the racks or whatever it is that they have uh, and just let them remind the coaches, I don't need to be cleaning and jerking off the floor or cleaning and jerking or snatching off the floor. I'm looking to get sport benefits out of this. And great coaches, good coaches should be able to help identify your actual needs. And what they'll usually do is piecemeal it, power cleans, power snatches, things of that nature. Now, to bring it all together here, now, there's a number of different routes we can go down here to close today's podcast episode. And I kept it short on purpose, and I kept it very focused on purpose. Uh, just to recap, first things first, we spoke about the Vortex method, right? We talked about the new rules for ultimate strength and performance in cycling and how this book is a non-technical book, and yet it is the most thorough, comprehensive, and well-explained book on the topic that will allow anybody... Uh, let's say seventh grade and up to be able to understand what the main principles of strength training for performance are, how to include them, or how to think about them as you're putting together your strength training program. And in the book itself, you will get access to over 75 exercises and three full year strength training programs, whether you buy it on Kindle or on uh, paperback or in paperback, I should say, you have access to these three full year programs uh, that have given results to many athletes around the world over the last 13 and a half, 14 years years here as of the recording of this episode. Now, then we moved on to the difference between general physical preparation and sport performance. We spoke about how general physical preparation is doing something other than your sport that is going to help build your ability to be able to relate and understand where your body is in space, as well as provide different types of stresses on the tissues and on the body to allow you to be able to adapt and develop more as a cyclist or triathlete. We remember spoke about James Harrison chucking around that 10 kilo wall ball with the other lineman on a volleyball court. If you can find that video, it's really cool. Uh, do not try it at home. Uh, I was working at a CrossFit box uh, coaching and a couple people decided to try that. And me being the lower back pain specialist said, here is when I'm going to be in next week. You guys can find me then. And lo and behold, all of them came to me within a week for some advice. So don't try it at home, even with a three kilo uh, wall ball. It's just a bad idea. Uh, you're not at that level. I'm not at that level. Just not smart. It's cool to watch. Uh, let it inspire you for something a little bit simpler, maybe like regular volleyball. Then we spoke about sport performance and how that strength training differs. So general physical preparation is going through. You're learning how to squat, hinge, press, pull, push, rotary stability, rotary stabilize, if you will, as well as doing other things. When you get into sport performance, however, we are looking for proximal stiffness, mastering proximal stiffness to get distal motion, meaning that we are able to lock our rib cage and pelvis together, getting minimal movement throughout the spine or any other places in through the core. Uh, again, the core is everything between your neck, your elbows, and your knees, while we're able to put out power or movement through our hips or shoulders. We talked about sports, uh, strength training for sports performance, excuse me, taking into consideration the specific type of strength that you need for your sport. 
And then finally, we wrapped it up by talking about a few of the examples how gravel is not cyclocross or mountain biking and how road cycling is not time trialing or criterium racing, even though they're done on similar bicycles. If you just you know jump into a time trial, you can do your road bike, certainly. Uh, but we're in particular talking about the time trial bike uh, and those long periods of time in those positions. Now, lastly, to bring it all together, this is the big take home. Both of these types of strength training have their place in an intelligent strength training program. What will determine if it is correct for you or your athletes is going to be, is this the right thing for this athlete at this time? And in our sport of cycling, we have a problem. We have a big problem and triathlon as well of coaches who want to give either sport performance exercises before their athlete has mastered, and I really mean mastered, the basics, the basics, as they used to say on SNL, the Bears, the Bears, who's better, the Bears, the Bulls, the Bears, the Bears. That's what we're talking about, the basics, deadlift. Now, that doesn't mean they have to do, you know, deadlift off the blocks, just conventional. They can do sumo. They can do uh, Jefferson deadlifts. And that's a really out there one. Please don't just have anybody try it. I'm not going to edit it out because I just want to allow you to go search for it and see that there's lots of different variations of deadlifts that can be done. They can do kettlebell deadlifts. They can do hover kettlebell deadlifts. They can do hover barbell deadlifts. They can do hover dumbbell deadlifts. Do you hear all the different flavors that are out there of the basics? You don't need to get super fancy. And in fact, uh, Tony Gentlecore last week, I think it was August 12th or 15th, he posted his weekly blog in which he shared how he has, you know, had a, a client and he couldn't think of a better exercise. So he gave him a regular standard variation of, I think it was actually a deadlift. And the guy was happy. And here, you know, he's talking in his blog about how he's kind of got to the point where he's, you know, thinking about these cool variations that he can use for people. And we forget the basics. For cyclists and triathletes, have them master the basics. Rack pulls. It doesn't have to be heavy. Start with dumbbell bench press. And again, we have this on the Pez Cycling News piece that I wrote. There's a four and a half or five minute video on the difference of strength training for general and strength training for performance. And we talk about the barbell deadlift versus the dumbbell deadlift. And I talk about how the shoulder blade moves on the rib cage. So there's lots of different things to consider, but master the basics. That's all we're looking for. The basics, the bears. Once you've gone through that general physical preparation for 12 to 18 months in a row, so we're not talking about 12 to 18 months, oh, well, I did it last year from September to December, and, and now I'm ready to move on to sport performance. No, no, no. Strength training should be year-round. We've covered that in other podcast episodes as well as we covered that in the book and other blog posts. You can pick those up in the various outlets that you find them. But we want to think about general physical preparation as a required and necessary step for a mental and physical break from lots of stresses that we're placing in our sport, which doesn't have a lot of variability. Now, a lot of people would say, well, okay, so general physical preparation for a road cyclist might be considered cross, right? You can go do cross. Yes. However, we need to be very aware of the fact that their midsections are going to be very weak. It doesn't matter how many, how long you can plank for. Okay. It doesn't matter how long you can plank for. You can plank for five, six, eight, 10, 12 minutes. In fact, I've had people come to me, road cyclists who said, Hey, I started cross and I have back pain and I don't really understand why, because I can hold a front plank for 15 and a half minutes. First of all, huge, massive kudos for the fact that you were able to focus on 15 minutes on a plank. Cause I know I couldn't, uh, that probably means you're going to make a hell of a time trialist or climber. Cause you can keep your focus but that does not guarantee back pain uh, prevention. And here's why. Road cyclists are in that hunched forward position. The hip flexors tend to be shortened. 
the glutes aren't active, and then you're getting on a cross bike where you're jumping off and on and asking things to stabilize that haven't been fired since, oh, I don't know, 1984 when Marty McFly was first learning about uh, Doc's, uh, what's it called? The, uh, can't even remember the name of the darn thing. That's awful. Pop culture fail. Uh, the flux capacitor, that's what it is. So we want to keep that in mind. So I know the end here, I kind of got off script a little bit, but do you hear how complex and yet how simple it is? We can make anything complex, but when it comes to our cyclists and triathletes and strength training, keep it simple at the beginning. Master the basics, 12 to 18 months of steady, regular strength training for general physical preparation get them to do something else that's going to be friendly with their body and meet them where they are or just a little bit beyond what their current capabilities are without causing trauma or asking their muscles to work in ways that they haven't used for many, many years. The second part is when you are ready to move on to strength training for performance, there's a lot of different considerations that you must take into account. And the book, my first book, The Vortex Method, The New Rules for Ultimate Strength and Performance in Cycling, available on Amazon and Kindle, will give you all of those tools so that you can understand what you should start to think about and consider. If you're more of a visual learner, we have the Strength Training for Cycling Success or Strength Training for Triathlon Success course over on Training Peaks. And in a couple of weeks or month, month and a half, we'll be opening the Strength Training for Cyclist Certification course with lots of new progressions for push, pull, squat, hinge, press, rotary stability, supine stability, prone stability, deceleration and acceleration, as well as a couple others in there. So that's it for this week. If you found any part of this podcast to be useful, please give us a thumbs up. Give us a share with three other people that you know. It could be a coach. It could be another rider who needs to hear about general physical preparation versus strength training for performance. The difference is the important role they serve for both of us, as well as Marty McFly and the flux capacitor and the podcaster who couldn't remember what the heck a flux capacitor was or name the damn thing for about 15 seconds. Until next week, remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HB Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.